0: All right, hey, hey, let's go. Hey, fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Good to see you. Here we go, here we go, thanks. I love you, good to see you. Thanks, Pastor, for coming out, love you. Take a donut home to Isaac. (laughs) Isaac. I think his sisters might have put one away for him. The true love of your family. I think they hid one. I think they hid one for him. See, there you go. Okay, tomorrow, uh, big day in the church. Tomorrow, Transfiguration, which is you know on the way to Lent, kind of that you get this beautiful thing, high on the mountain, and then down the mountain, into all sorts of trouble, and finally to Golgotha, uh, the crucifixion. So uh, it's a it's a big day, and it's fun. Uh, so we'll we'll pray toward that. O God, you've called and gathered a people from the ends of the earth to serve you. Grant the increase of your government among us and give us your Holy Spirit that your name may be glorified to all who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Through Christ our Lord, amen. All right, thanks for coming out. This is it. Of course, I always have this feeling of we haven't gotten anything done. And we sort of kind of go on and on. On the other hand, I'm sure you're wishing you could stay in your jammies on Saturday, so that's okay, too. couple of things. Does anybody anybody have these? If you're coming along, if you have them, uh, if you just give them to me at some point, or even if you're here, if you're, if you're coming along, zero press about coming along. As I said to somebody else this morning, it's a little strange because you're, you're coming to St. John at such a strange time. Even... We've been starved for the normal things that we've done and we have to get our rhythm back a little bit. So among the most fabulous things that happens here is the Triduum, the Three Great Days, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then uh, Easter Vigil. And of course that comes into Easter Sunday. Valgate is going to ask you if you want to play in the Monday, Thursday service, which amounts to stripping the altar while well, Nathan and Peter have fabulous music going on in the background. It's a very solemn moment. You know, it's, um, We talked about why we kiss the altar, because the altar is Christ. Why do you strip the altar? Because the altar is Christ. And so you see in the stripping of the altar, Jesus being stripped to be put on the cross. Bit by bit, pieces disappear until when you come back for Good Friday, the altar is bare, the cross is shrouded, things are dark. And, and quite solemn, so if you want to be part of that, Val is going to ask you uh, as you go out, just as kind of heads up here there 's zero force. I guarantee you there's a hundred people who want to do this, which is why we ask the new folks if they want to do it, so you get a chance to um, have some fun, then begin to find your spot and that 's actually part of the reason uh, you know it 's part of the reason Pastor Nelson and Holly show up, um, you know Val's here, and elders have popped in, and some governing board people. We do uh, need to help you find your spot. The whole trick of having a big, bigger church is to make it feel like a smaller church, like you have a place. So there are several places to do things. I'm also well aware that you're very, very busy people. Uh, you often travel, you have a lot of commitments. Nevertheless, if you can find a place or two in the church to do some good, um, that's nice. And I can help you if you, if you kind of let me know what you're interested in. There are all these things going on. Now in some ways, it's, it's so strange, you know, this place is running like a top and then COVID comes and everything stops and then we have to restart, but that also gives us a chance to reevaluate all the things that we're doing. Do we really want to do that? Is that a good idea? Should we try this? So, um, you know, things like obvious things like serving on the altar guild, which when my wife and I did it in our previous congregation, was one of the best things I've ever done in the church. Or there's people who keep up the grounds or there's guys who come and fix things uh, a couple days a week. You know, they tinker around and, you know, they actually do a lot of good. Or, you know, there's just, there's so many things, working with the kids, there's so many things going on here that do need volunteers. So uh, as things pick back up, sort of keep an eye on that. Let's see, what else? Um, Just kind of ticking through my list in my head. I guess, you know, this is a chance to kind of ask any last questions. I have a few things I want to talk about, but just any, is there anything out there that you're just like, what in the world is going on here? Or you didn't talk about this. Is there anything left like that? No, you're too shy. Okay, that's good. Um, Then, I guess, uh, you know, as you can see from the amount of things I left you, There's a dozen things I want to talk to you about, but maybe just one thing primarily or a way to get this focused. If you can grab a Bible and uh, turn to Acts 2. Now, there's all kinds of people who say, you know, we're an Acts 2 church. In fact, that was, you know, five years ago that was the hipster thing. That was, in fact, even kind of a bang on liturgical churches. we're 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 an Acts 2 church, which I thought, which is very interesting because we're an Acts 2 church too. And you remember last week I sort of, you know, put Christ in the center and drew circles around it and said the goal here is to orbit Christ in everything we do. And what we're trying to do is to pull you into a particular kind of life. You have these among your things I gave you again was the bit that I gave you from now and from last week where we're trying to live this Eucharistic life of gratitude. We're trying to all pull on the same end of the rope. We're trying to be a different kind of community, uh, different, of course, from the world, uh, and then different, of course, even um, well, just different from the world, and committed to Christ. That's the best way to say it. And even in a week like this, when the world sort of goes crazy and you know innocent people die, you sort of say you, you know you reflect on what this means, especially if you read the prayers of. And, you know, for instance, yesterday I read the charge of the Ukrainian bishop to his priests, which was very sobering. Stay with your people. Tell the truth. Help the poor and the dispossessed. You know, you sort of go, that's, uh, that's the church. So, Acts 2, uh, you remember how this works. Luke and Acts are both written by St. Luke. The reason you have two bits, it's speculated, and it's pretty good speculation actually, was Luke is very long, and that's about as much as you could get on one normal scroll that a scribe wrote on. So, you know, we're out of this one, we've got to get a second one, and Acts comes along. And Acts tells then about uh, the church and what it was like after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended and how the church lived. And if you go to Acts 2, you know, sort of 42, you get this, you get Pentecost at the beginning, but then things sort of settle down, and the church takes its first form. May, you know, maybe not consciously like they said, hey, we'll have a form, it's just we are going to see and say and do and live like Jesus did. So you have Peter's Pentecost sermon, and then at verse 37, the people who heard it were cut to the heart. What do we do? And he says, well, repent and get baptized in the name of Jesus. We've talked about that quite a lot, for your forgiveness. And then you get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will move in. That's great. This is for you and for your children. This is for people who are far off. The Lord wants all his children home, right? And then verse 42, this very... Or 41 is even better. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And now this very interesting thing, right? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this is uh, about Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which you come to know as scripture. So Christ... Scripture. they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So fellowship, communion, uh, assembly, becomes based out of the th- liturgy, right? The assembly, the body of Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so scripture, fellowship, the breaking of the bread... Uh, now you heard about that as uh, last week with Emmaus, and that becomes a euphemism for the Holy Supper. So, so far you've got Christ, Scripture, the Liturgy, the Holy Supper. Uh, Christ, Scripture, Liturgy, and prayers. So, scri- Christ, Scripture, saying your prayers. Christ scripture, prayer, liturgy, and holy supper. And fear came upon every soul. Now, you have to understand this, not as they were afraid of them, but they were in awe of them. And of course, when you get close to holy things, you do have some moments of trepidation. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, the interesting thing is, so this is this great mercy. But the interesting thing is, is and one of the things why people were so interested in Christians is, they didn't just keep the mercy to themselves. People were in awe of them because they did kindness to people outside their own assembly, outside their own community. This was unique with Christians, that they cared for other people. And so, you know, the long tradition of the church, you know, and I can recite as well as anyone the long list of horrible things that the church has done. However, uh, the church has also done wonderful things like care for the poor and the dispossessed, starting schools not only for boys but for girls, burying the dead, recognizing the human dignity in everyone, a long tradition of starting hospitals uh, and caring for whomever might show up. So you have these, this very thorough um, concentration on merciful things so, fear came upon every soul, and they all those who were believed had all things in common. So, you know, you will get a little bit of my money lecture today, but basically, tithing. And then because it went to other people, alms. We'll talk a little bit about that. That's not so fearsome as it might seem. Uh, wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, here's a very interesting thing, you know, for the money talk, which is, um, I don't know if it's ever occurred to you, but the range of giving in the scriptures is between ten and hundred percent. Kind of interesting, because in the Missouri Synod, our church body, average giving is two point seven percent, little little higher than the Catholics, a little lower than the Pentecostals. So we can feel good about ourselves some of the time. Okay. <laughs> But um, they had everything together. And then look, they sold their possessions and distributed them to all as any had need. So, you know, these are people not of the community. They, They cared for, you know, people around them. Day by day, attending the temple together. That's again prayers, right? They still went to the temple until they got kicked out. Jews, morning and evening at the temple. So they still went until they finally got the boot. And breaking bread in their homes... Uh, And then sometimes people go home church, and you're like, whoa, 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 it was just Pentecost. There aren't any churches yet, right? All they have is homes. So this isn't an argument for home churches. This is just, you had the meeting where you lived, uh, you know. Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, partake of food, and then this is this. Glad and generous hearts, people who are moved by gratitude. And then you remember this notion of Eucharist as uh, the life of thanksgiving, Praising God, having favor with the people. And, you know, it's so interesting to me that churches are all the time, you know, so verklempt about how to have people join the church. You know, know, any minute now, somebody is going to send me an unsolicited email asking me to buy door hangers for Easter. You know, nobody ever came to church because of a door hanger. People come to church because somebody in the church, who is very kind to them, 80% 80% of the people who join the church joined because a friend said, you should come to my church, it's really great. So it's incumbent upon us to have a church that's really great. What would a church that is really great look like? It would look like Christ and Scripture, prayer, the liturgy and the Eucharist, tithing and almsgiving, so for the church and for outside the church, a very thorough mercy, Not limited just to your community, but out into the community. And that together gives this fabulous witness, right? And that's how this text ends. They took, they had glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, this is just a little throwaway, added to their number day by day. This pops up again and again in Luke, or in Acts, I'm sorry. They added to their number day by day all those who were being saved. How does the church grow? Yeah, you don't call a consultant. You're nice to people. You're kind, you're welcoming, you're forgiving. You're different. You go to the Eucharist. You're generous in a world that's not generous. You're peaceful in a world that's warring. Right? You're patient in a world which is extraordinarily impatient. How does the church grow? The church grows because of you. Jesus has done his part. The Holy Spirit is here ready to go. And I think so often... You know, you've all been in churches that fought a lot. You've been in church bodies that fight a lot. You've been in meetings where you just wish you could crawl away. Like none of that is the way of Jesus or the way of the church. So um, Christ scripture prayer, the Eucharist, in the midst of the holy liturgy, tithing and alms, a lot of mercy, And then the witness takes care of itself. And so the whole point of this has been to try to form you into a kind of a person or get you started on the way to being a particular kind of person and having you join a bunch of people who are committed to being a particular kind of people and to really leave behind all the bad habits you may have learned in your secular work or in a broken family in which you grew up, or in a bad church where you used to be. I mean, we don't want to have any of that here. None of that looks like Christ. None of that is the way of the Eucharist. None of that is glad and generous. And so, you know, Sunday, I, I, just among things you should know, um, you know this, this class is meant to push you to Sunday morning Pastor's Bible study at 10 o'clock. All the heavy lifting in this congregation is done at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. That's the reason you can have a voters' meeting that lasts 30 minutes, right? There's, you know, we had a voters' meeting a couple of weeks ago. We passed a budget for a couple of million bucks and voted in a new governing board. It took like 22 minutes. And, you know, in the last decade, I think we've had 14 negative votes in the last decade. Now, two of those on Sunday were an elder son and his friend who has a joke voted against their father to be an elder. We trace the handwriting. We have cameras everywhere. So you know, you've had a dozen negative votes in 10 years. That's not common in the church. But it's because everything is transparent and if you've gone through this, you know what's going on. And you can ask anything you want and most things you could know. And you know, But most of all, it's that we want to be committed to living in a particular way. And it doesn't matter what anybody else does in the church down the street or, you know, in a church body or anything else. That's not us. This is us. And so the trick for you is to kind of forget about all of that and then say to yourself, we want to live in a particular way. And if you just sort of think about it, all I've been trying to do for all these Saturdays is to convince you that your whole life should orbit around Christ and that you should say your prayers and so we you know spent a couple of weeks talking about how your prayers might get going and if you need some help you know, come and see your pastor right i mean i'll help you with whatever you need in terms of we do this all the time of people who need sort of to get their devotions on track or to take a switch you know in a different direction that would be more helpful to you so you know all we want to do is push you around Christ and then have you say your prayers And then have you um, really think about how important it is for you to be here and go to church and receive the gifts and try to remember that you come to church for me. You don't come to church for you. I mean, you do come to church for you, of course, but you don't just come to church for you. You come to church for me. Hebrews at the end, among the laundry list of things he's reminding the church to do is don't forsake the assembly. Right? Why? Because we're a body. You know, if we lose a big toe and a little finger over there, things don't work quite as well. So it's important for you to come to church. Now, of course, this has been challenging COVID, and of course, we need to be patient. Of course, we've got to figure it out, and everybody's got different challenges. Okay, that's good, and that's how a church should work with kind of patience and pastoral care and understanding people's challenges and their fears and other people's, you know, expectations. We're trying to manage all that together. It's been a good test for the church to kind of figure out what it thinks and how to proceed. But you come to church for yourself, of course, to receive the body and blood, to remember your baptism, to have your sins forgiven. Of course, of course, of course. You also come to church for me, and if you just look to your right and to the left, you come to the church for those people too. They need you. There's nothing more depressing than sitting alone in a church. Right? Right? You want to come with your friends. You want to share a vision. You want to feel the same energy. You want to pull on the same end of the rope. Together you want to do some good, right? And we have all kinds of things. You know, there's a trailer sitting out there where there's 25 or 30 people in this congregation whenever there's a tornado or a disaster, they're out the next day, as soon as they're invited to do, you know, muck out people's houses and cut down trees and drive bobcats. There's all these people who spend all this time and money doing these very physical things with people who are just broken. It's the most remarkable thing. You need to be part of something so that you can stay connected. So Christ in scripture and prayer, Um, good. The liturgy, so they gave themselves morning and evening at the temple, right? A liturgy, morning and evening. And uh, going to the Holy Supper. And you know, I gave you this quote from now on. This one where he says, I think it's hard for people to understand how important the Eucharist is to me. My whole being is rooted in the Eucharist. For me to be a priest means to be ordained, to be present to Christ every day as food and drink to my fellow Christians. I sometimes wonder if those who are close to me are sufficiently aware of the fact that the Eucharist constitutes the core of my life. This is exactly how I feel. I wouldn't even be in the ministry anymore if it wasn't for the daily Eucharist, right? And, you know, to some people, um, oddly, that seems excessive. To me, it's the normal course of life, right? I do so many other things, but the Eucharist is the center of my life, and everything else receives its meaning from that center. And why? Because the Eucharist is Christ, right? Right? That's why we genuflect. That's why we kiss. That's why we say amen. That's why we make the sign of the cross. That's why we welcome it. That's why it's frequent. Right? I'm saying this with so much emphasis in the hope that you will understand what I mean when I say that my life must be a continuing proclamation of the death and resurrection of Christ. It is first and foremost, through the Eucharist, this proclamation takes place. You remember the liturgical action says, you know, with this, you remember the life and death of Jesus until He comes again. So, Christ, Scripture, prayer, the liturgy, and the Eucharist. Now, a little bit about money, which is always a sensitive topic. Generally, people aren't uh, very good with their money. They don't have a very good relationship with it. Forget about the church, just in general. And even Jesus, you know, says, "You know, where your treasure your heart, where your heart your treasure." And so it's really interesting. Um, you know, you bring that into the church, and then the church gets all bollocked up about how to talk about money, and, you know, it gets to be a push and a pull, and, and then suddenly everything sort of goes badly. But the proof that we do it poorly is that most churches, and you can include schools, church schools too, Lutheran schools, most churches run like a bankruptcy. Most churches run from scarcity. Most churches barely have enough money to pay their bills inside, and they could hardly imagine giving money to other people. Now, sometimes that's because churches are quite poor. I've served in two poor churches. Um, And, you know, if that's the case, if you're just scraping by, that's kind of fun. That's not us. So, I mean, here's the basic thing. Um, (laughs) When the Missouri Senate picks numbers, it picks 2.7. When Jesus picks a number, he picks 10. You know what this means? It means we stink at picking numbers. And if you stink at picking numbers, you should let Jesus pick your number. Now, you should hear that all in the way of the gospel. I mean... You know, I don't know many of you well enough to know what's going on. And, um, but I knew that in general, people aren't very good with money. In general, it's something they don't talk about with their... People don't talk about with their kids. All the time, I'm talking with older... With children who are now parenting their parents, but the, you know, the safety deposit key is in the sock drawer and nobody knows where the will is. And don't talk to you about money because, you know, something could go... you just kind of like... Everybody here just needs to grow up. This is how it works. And you'll hear this if you come on Sunday, because I'm going to talk a week or two about this, just in general to our congregation, because we're used to it. Uh, We talk about money, so we don't have to talk about money. So every few years, we do a capital campaign or we do some emphasis, just so we can talk about money, and then we don't talk about it for a few years, because it's not the primary focus. It's just something that's done. So let's just think about it in this way. First, let's just think about the biblical examples. In general, and you're free to kind of show me other places, but the general number in Scripture is between 10 and 100%. 10 is the normal. We talked about Melchizedek. That's what people did in Israel. You just saw that it was 100 for the first apostles. It was also 100 for the woman who gave her last mites, right? The widow's mites. So the range is between um, 10 and 100. Um, beyond that, there's always something for the poor. Don't glean all the way to the edge of your fields. Leave something for the poor to come behind you and have something to eat. Or, here they are doing good, giving alms to people outside. Our budget, you know, roughly speaking, it's going to be like 1.7, 1.8 million in a normal year when things aren't broken you know, 100000 or $150,000 that goes outside of us to other people, just just kind of in broad numbers. Uh, we have, a, you know, when the budget here is presented, you kind of get line by line. You can always know more. You should also know the pastors know what you give. And people, there are the pa- other pastors and a few other people know what I give, too. So, you know, people can call it if it's... Um, but you shouldn't think of that as a threat. And I can't ever remember a time where I've said to somebody who didn't ask, you know, really, come on. Uh, But it is a great indicator of spiritual health. People's ability to give. It's um, not coming to church is an indicator of spiritual health. Giving is an indicator of spiritual health. Being angry all the time is an indicator of spiritual health. Being kind all the time is an indicator of spiritual health, as is being generous, right? So this is one of those things where congregations who don't let their pastors know what people give. It's like, it's like going to the doctor and not taking your clothes off. You're not going to get much treatment, right? If there's no sort of like probing around and seeing what hurts, you can't possibly be helped. So the normal course is, you know, something between 10 and 100 in the scriptures. I'm just observing the data. And then occasionally you have these big bursts, like when Paul says, hey, people are starving in Jerusalem, so take a little bit extra every Sunday and send it over there. Or when Moses says, we're going to build a temple. And you remember, or a tabernacle, sorry. When Moses says, we're going to build the tabernacle. And you remember when they built the tabernacle, um, he says to the people, hey, time to have a capital campaign, let's go. Do you remember how that ended? Anybody remember that story? Moses had to call a voters meeting. And he got in front of the people and he said, anybody remember? He says you got to stop giving. He's like you giving so much stuff, we can't even schlep it around anymore. We got piles of gold and silver and you know, I got I got jewelry coming out of my nose. We got we got, you know, we got crypto stacked up behind the you know, just Which is a fabulous place to be, which is the kind of church you want to be. Now, let's drill down just a little bit on the ten percent. For some of you, the number is not ten percent. For some of you, the number is twenty percent or thirty percent. Because let's face it, after you get to a particular number, you know, do you need another house or another boat, or should that be given to the poor or to people in your own congregation? You know, you can have another house or another boat as long as you're still generous. But broadly, for some people, the number's not 10. The number's much, much bigger, right? And there's some, in America, in Wheaton, Illinois, there's some number you get to where you have sufficient. And people who are going to bed hungry, or children who are going to bed hungry, or don't have a place to live, those people are your responsibility. Am I my brother's keeper? You are your brother's keeper, just to make that clear. So for some of you, the number is much bigger than 10. For some of you, the number is much smaller than 10. Now for this particular group right here, Andrew, you're a grown-up, but you chose to sit with the children today. Uh, Brandon, you know, so here's what you should do. You should just, as you're young, you get your first job. I'm gonna give you my fatherly advice, okay? Because I love you. Emma, you're here too, because I love you too. Kalina, I love you, but you're too old for this. So just gonna relax a a moment. It's the same thing I told my kids. From your first paycheck, um, give ten percent of the church, put twenty percent away for your retirement, and then do what you want, right? And I'm going to say this to you too, right? Because um, you don't know any better, so you should do that. Because you don't know any better. Don't worry, you're young. You'll get selfish at some point. Just let it come to you. It does to everybody else, but you know, just for you, just uh, this is the just the mental aspect of you know, like if you let, if you have mandatory whether you have people at work opt into a 401k, opt in or opt out. It's all habit. It's all preference. It's all inertia. So if you're an employer, you opt people into, your, into the 401k, otherwise, and they never opt out again. It's like we had our last capital campaign. Oh, our last capital campaign was three years long. It's two years old, so it's five years away or something like that. We still have people given the capital campaign. I'm not going to tell them. It's all right. I'll find something to do with it. Well, don't worry, it's all going to be fine. You don't think that's funny? I think that's hilarious, but that's, you know. <laughs> um, but then beyond that, there are people who are not going to be able to give anything, who can barely survive, and or they can give a percent or two. For those people, from us, who have sufficient, the river has to, row the other, has to run the other way. And so there is this fund, just kind of tucked away, called the MANA Fund, which people who basically started in eight and nine, when we had people in this congregation who had never missed a bonus, always had a job, were flourishing like crazy, and suddenly we had people who, because of the liquidity crisis and financial markets and all that followed, suddenly people who had never missed a bonus were losing their house, their car, their job, their investments. Doom, 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 doom. And suddenly, and there were good people in the congregation who said, we have to sort of take care of this, So this fund was kind of born um, that um, the pastors basically, whatever money comes in, the pastors distribute that money to people who are poor in the congregation. And we just sort of keep an eye out and we normally know who it is. Now you would think, if you grew up a good Lutheran, you'd be like, what about the voters' assembly? To which I say to you again, just point it to me in scripture. The normal course for money in the scriptures is... People bring a big pile of money, they put it at the pastor's feet, and the pastor spends it. Now, with all the proper restrictions, right? But there's transparency about it, that somebody else does the accounting, so I don't... Um, if you try to give me money, I'm going to point you to our business manager. I don't have signing authority. I don't keep the books. Uh, my great joy is giving money away that other people bring, but I do that you know, through... A, uh, through the business manager. We have outside accountants in Indianapolis. We have outside auditors. And so uh, I try never to have money go in my hands. Uh, and if somebody does break down, like, you know, the Gromwalds, give me $10,000 in cold hard cash, it could happen at any moment. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll have one of you count it because I don't want to be around. I don't count the money. I'm not around the money. It's always sex and money for, for pastors, right? I mean... For every pastor, whoever whoever fails, it's always sex and money. It's boring how predictable this is, right? It's always sex and money. It's power, but power always manifests as sex and money. So there you go. So in any case, um, you know, money flows in and money flows out. And my, the best, you know, short of being at the altar, the most fun that I can have is um, giving money away to other people. It is received graciously. Does good and it builds the community. This is just how it works. I just want to say you in terms of your money, you got to grow up. You got to grow up in the food you eat. You got to grow up in the exercise you take. You got to grow up and get enough sleep. You got to grow up with your money. You got to grow up in patience with your kids. Behave you too. Uh, you know, you got to grow up in loving your spouse. You got to grow up. Just grow up, okay? It is what it is. And then everything will be okay. And in the end, You'd be surprised how much money has to do with the success of a church. Right? Because, you know, especially in a church like this, it boils down to this. You either got to pay for it or do it. And what I found in this church often is you're also busy to do it, then you got to pay for it. You got to either pay for it or do it. But if you do it, anything you volunteer for, you have to do it to the specification of excellence. I'll tell you a story. It's my second or third, maybe first, second or third Easter here, second Easter here, This we were in the other building, we broadcast live on the radio every Sunday because the internet was not yet born. I'm in the pulpit, standing room only, Easter morning. Has more to do with Easter than me. And suddenly, the fire alarms go off. Now you be me. It's Easter morning. It's completely full. The, um, we're on the radio and the fire alarms are going off. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, now what? So I'm trying to tough it out. Like I'm like, could be a mistake. That'll go off. And suddenly in the distance, I can hear the fire trucks coming. You can hear the sirens from right down the street, right? I'm like, and of course, if the fire uh, fighters get there and you haven't emptied the building, you are in deep trouble, right? The fines are very stiff, and the shame is very strong. So of course, what what do we do? We empty the building, and Easter is ruined, live on radio. Now, if you haven't figured this out yet, all of life boils down to finding somebody to blame. (laughs) So of course, we're on the hunt. You know whose fault this was? Val Gaty. You know why? Because the previous week, somebody in the great generosity of their heart said, I've got this really junky toaster oven. It burns everything I've got, it fills my house with smoke, it stinks. You know who could use that toaster oven? The church! Right next to that really bad sofa we gave him for the youth group and a pool table that's cracked in the middle where the balls run to the center. Yeah, because if you got junk, where should you drop it? Yeah, you know how this is. You don't bring your first fruits to the church, you bring your last fruits. you got a bad toaster oven, you bring it right before Easter, you set it like the devil's trap in the staff lounge. And then what does Valgate do? You know, she says, I've been here since 3 a.m., I'm hungry. She puts a bagel in there, what happens? It catches on fire in the middle of my Easter sermon. You what, that's not the devil at play. I don't know what is, and you see how this is because somebody can't tell what their first fruits are from their last fruits. So, you know, just you know, console Val, she still feels great shame, but it wasn't her fault, of course. She just thought the church got a new toaster oven. See, there's old Val living from generosity when everybody else was living from scarcity. You see how this doesn't work. Besides that, you want to have a little bit of fun so um and as you do all know unless you got a little cash you can't have fun in fact we should pass the hat to the rich side of the room they should leave you some money before they go shouldn't they you probably got some student loans you'd like them to pay off right (laughs) yeah look them in the eye and see if you can find somebody over there who might be yeah check it out so anyway there's my little money lecture for you um Now we're not going to talk about it again, although I have to talk to the congregation about it for a a week or two among the disciplines. This is how it works. (laughs) For freedom, Christ has set us free. Yeah, you're free, right? But you're not free to do anything you want, and you're not free to do nothing. You're free to do something. And part of Christian discipleship is figuring out what you are free to do. What looks like the image of Christ? How can I do the most good? What particular gifts has God given me? Where can I contribute to the greater community? And on and on and on. And so, you know, one of the tricks of life is to figure out how God can have good use of you. What does Jesus mean when he says, follow me? He means, you know, like a Groucho Marx movie, walk like this, walk this way, sorry. Jeez, you gotta get the, hit the line, for goodness sake. Um, if you live your life like Jesus, we're going to have a blast. And if you want to live your life like a miser or a crook or, you know, a lecher or pick all the things that go wrong in the church, it's not going to be any fun at all. So, you know, partly what I'm begging you to do is come and have some fun. And part of the reason this, you know, secret, all the secret things come out at the last moment You know, part of the reason we're doing this, what is this? This is a big sieve. This whole thing is a strainer. You know, we're looking at you all the time, Blaze. We're trying to figure out, is he one of us? Do you want to come play? And what usually happens is people self-sort. They self-sort because they can't really believe that the waters of baptism save them. They self-sort because they can't really believe that the same body and blood that was on the nailed to the cross is on the tongue. By the way, young Joseph found me the quote. It's from St. John Chrysostom. Beautifully done. I've been in a decade looking for it. Thank you so much. And, you know, you figure out whether you want to live from generosity or scarcity. And, you know, if you want to live from generosity, come on. Even if you stink at it. See, this is the important thing. So often, again, reset for you, the younger crowd. Um... You might say to me, oh, my student loans, oh, my job, oh, working from home, oh, this, oh, that. Okay, okay, pick a number. I'll help you pick a number if you want. Pick one. And work on that, and we'll talk, and then in a year, maybe, we'll pick two, okay? But I also had a young couple who started at one, five years in a row, one, two, three, four, and then the fifth year, the guy said, hey, I'm sick of this. We're going to ten and we're just not taking family vacations until we get this sorted out. That would be horrible. I'm glad I'm not his child. But you know what? It was cold hard cash, so I took it. Okay. Check in. You guys are all still a little bit too nervous. You've got to loosen up a little bit. So, anyway, enough about money unless you have some um, question. Look at you. At the point about money where I say, unless there is some question, I look up at the clock and I look down. That signal to you is, I'm moving on, I'm not talking to you. But go ahead, since you, you know, accidentally caught my eye. How do we, like, give money? Is it like an envelope? Well, you, before you leave today, we're going to take your bank account information and we're going to suck it out just like the water company does. Uh, We used to have envelopes. And uh, we still do. We used to have... Well, that's a whole other story. We used to have those envelopes that you put downstairs and nobody picks them up and then everybody goes like this and walks by them. Now we mail them to you because it's actually cheaper and more guilt-free. But for you, 70% of the people here use electronic giving. So you just, uh, you talk to John Crow and he sets you up. The other thing is, and people have sort of said, you notice we don't pass the, I got, it's like, I'm bearing my soul to you today. Hey, I got rid of COVID, you know, Rahm Emanuel, never waste a crisis. Doesn't matter what you think of him, never waste a crisis. So what are two things we got rid of during COVID? Individual cups and passing the plate. It's Because, you know, Jesus didn't say, take drink of this many, many, many cups so you make sure that you look like an American Protestant, not like a Catholic. What? So, um, <laughs> And you can, if you have hard, cold, cold, hard cash, young fella, you drop it in the little slot where you pick up your bulletin as you come in, right? There's a little slot there. So, yeah, if you're, if you're an old school kind of guy, I mean, if you're not, unless you, you know, bars of gold, if you're doing that now, because you saw that all the crypto stuff got jammed up in Ukraine, and you get arrested in Canada if you give the wrong cause. Oh, freezer, yeah, we got a lot to talk about, so. So anyway, great question. John Crow is your guy, okay? I suppose I should have a form or something for this, but here's the thing: I, you know, you'll figure it out. If you really want to do it, you'll figure it out. You find John Crow, he'll help you. What else? Question about anything, friend? Since we brought up, you know, individual cups. Yes. Been a little confused, like contention versus cotton cup. Yeah. Wafer in the mouth versus on the hand. Yes. And you're such a nice boy. But then we have to have these talks, right? Now these are all really good things to think about. Okay, good. Good for you. So we should start with Jesus. You know. Um, And last week we read from 1 Corinthians 10 where he says, you all take from one loaf and you become one. You all drink from one cup and you become one, right? So you'd be reluctant to... Um, fiddle with the Lord does, because then you're never sure what's going on. So, you know, if you're a priest and you say, you know, we baptize you for 20 years, um, freaks everybody out when they figure out you didn't say what Jesus says, right? You have to track people down and who knows what happened and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So first do what Jesus says. But then there are the, you know, this year, when you're all geeked up after Christmas Mass here, go home and you can watch the Pope at the Vatican, which is what I do, because I can't sleep because I'm all geeked up. And I, you know, I always watch the nuns, you know, and the Eucharist. And I'm just like, hmm, you know. It's fun to watch because you think, now, why did they do that? Or, that's nice that they do that. In any case, so I'll just take you through and you stop me when this doesn't make sense. In great Lutheran tradition, um, The posture was simply to open your mouth, like a little baby bird. Mommy comes and drops the food and, you know, right? Now, the proper, best, wonderful thing is, you'll notice that the pastor displays the host, the body of Christ. So the the pastor is saying, and remember Chrysostom, when you receive the host, it's not the priest who gives you hope, it's Jesus himself who comes to you. So Jesus is saying to you, this is my body. And you say Amen, which is a fancy way of saying yes. And then, because you've said yes, the pastor puts it on your tongue, the body of Christ, Amen. And older people didn't learn this, but every last kid—you're if you're for your next to kid this week—and here's the thing: if they don't do it, we wait, and then they look at us, and we look at them, and then finally I have to say, say Amen. And they kind of laugh and like, oh yeah, that's my line. I have a line. This is my body. They have a line. Amen. If you don't say amen, you're not getting it. Well, you are getting it, but we just got to work at this a little bit, right? So that's sort of um, top, top, top shelf. Same for the blood. The blood of Christ. Amen. Which means Jesus says it. I believe it. He gives it. I take it. Life's beautiful. Here we go. We're all one. I'm forgiven. Let's get busy, right? Couldn't be better. Uh, In the history of the church, there are other ways to do it. Um, The church fathers will say, Jerome, cross your hands and make a little manger for the baby Jesus. And you know it's right over left in the sign of the cross. Or um, there is, and I don't want to pin it to Chrysostom without looking at it, but he says, make the cross and let Jesus lie upon it. Means indication that you get the same thing that was on the cross, and then classically, the host is put in your hand, and you. This is where the drop voice happens. Somebody tries to pick it up like this, and they drop Jesus on his head, right? And then you're like, ah, you dropped the baby Jesus on your head. Whew, hell is hot. I can't believe you want to go there. No, you say, uh, you're a tough crowd today. So you just you just simply lift it to your tongue, and it'll stick, right? Now in all the COVID stuff, what about this and what about that? We had to figure out a way to, for people, you'd give us the secret sign to, that, hey, I want an intincted host. And that became this. So if you do this, and now by now we know kind of who does what, um, we intinct the host and put it, this is kind of like I want the intinct, by the way, we also have a gluten-free host, and people who need a gluten-free do this to us. If you need a gluten-free host, you should let us know. I'm well aware that the Diocese of New Jersey along with some Vatican folks have said um, a gluten-free host is uh, unacceptable because it's not wheat and of course you just used wheat, right? To which my response is a gluten-free host is a delivery device for minuscule amounts of wheat slash body as it rubbed against all the other gluten hosts in the ciborium. Got it? Very few people are going to die or react to a molecule or two of wheat. Uh, But that's enough Jesus to save you. So our gluten-free hosts are in with our... Occasionally we get somebody who's like, I'm going to die from that. And then, of course, my answer is, come on, let's see. (laughs) Just check in to see if you're still with me. (sighs) So usually... And there's several. There's probably, you know, I think we put in... Twenty, maybe thirty gluten-free hosts across the course of a morning, and so the thing is, my consolation is um, that people, you know, it touches the other hosts, and you know, you get you get the body of Jesus, right? Now, what about intinction? Um, you know, best case is one cup, and. Um, but, you know, that's not what people grew up with, or there's concerns about it, or people feel, you know, contagious on some things. My personal opinion is, and I'm talking about my personal opinion for me, you'll notice at the end, people say, yeah, this is good for you because, you know, you drink from a chalice before anybody else does. If you've noticed, I also drink from the chalice after everybody else does, right? So I have you know, friends who have been in Africa, and I've been in places where, for example, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when it was much more of a crisis, um, you know, drained the host after you know there are several HIV-positive people in the crowd, right? What are you going to do? You're going to drain the host. If the Lord is going to kill me with the chalice of the Eucharist, I'm completely cool with that, <laughs> right? So... Um, and then why do we eat and drink everything? Because Jesus says to eat and to drink it, and if you don't eat and drink it, then you've got to figure out what to do with it. It's easier to eat and drink it, although I talked a little bit about that last week. Now, as best I can see, individual cups came in with a Protestant fervor in America, uh, and there are a range of reasons that things are done. The body comes off the cross because the Catholics do that. And I'm actually being quite serious. If you have a body on a cross, then you can have a cross without a body. But if you never have a body on the cross, you're in denial of what the crucifixion was. And if you're plagued by the demonic or you need something to hold at your death, a body is what you want on the cross. In the same way, um, if the individual cups are introduced as a way of that's not really the blood of Christ, or we're not like other men, I thank God that I'm not like other men, those Catholics, or pick a reason, okay? Um, Then you gotta say to yourself, huh, is that a legit reason? Well, things gather steam, and you know, if the Germans fight a couple of world wars, then suddenly St. John German Evangelical Lutheran Church just becomes St. John Lutheran Church, just as Trinity German Evangelical Church where I grew up becomes Trinity Lutheran Church, right? And you know, German services disappear. It's funny how things work. So, um, where do you get that? Well, not sure. Is it best? I'm not sure. Would I stop it? No. If people cared about it. Uh, Does anybody care about it? COVID was this great chance to try something else. So just for all of you who keep score by such things, and I urge you not to for the good of your souls, there is in the rubric in the minutes of some missouri senate conference somewhere when they said it's a-okay to have individual cups and you can see you know it must have been disputed because it went they also had a footnote and then they said but intinction is not okay to which i want to say huh i'm sure the logic would be but intinction is not drinking but then of course i want to ask him about the text where it says jesus is on the cross do you remember this text and they dipped the hyssop into the sour wine, and they intincted it in the sour wine, and they lifted it to his lips, and he drank. So does drink mean you have a great big cup, or does drink mean you take liquid, right? It's just I mean, they're just questions to be asked before everybody jumps to conclusions, right? So uh we were looking for in COVID, we were looking for a way. People were very nervous, and of course, nobody knew in the early days. We have to remember, nobody knew quite what was going on, but you've got to go to the Eucharist, and how are you going to do this? And if you really think the Eucharist is the center of your being, we've got to keep going. So, uh, the body and blood of Christ for you, right? And without protest, I mean, people who, it seems to satisfy everybody, and it's okay. While we're doing this, um, we should just go to the problem of uh, people who struggle with alcohol. Uh, using grape juice is just a little bit like, um, you know, saying, we baptize you. And that's not what Jesus did. Just so you know, the grape harvest in Israel is in January, and by March, by Passover, there's not any, <laughs> there's not any grape juice left. It ferments. It turns to wine. And you remember that it was, wine, it was often bad wine and it was often cut with water, which is why you saw the Catholic, you see him pour a little water into the wine. You go, that's not in the words of the institution, but that's what everybody did when the wine was bad. You had to cut the taste of it, right? Okay, so you can't justify using anything but wine. Now we did, this just, here's just, you know, safety tip. Here's the thing. I'm gonna go over a little bit, like I'm gonna get you also out of here you never have to come back to this again unless you want to, so just stay with me, okay? When I came here, and this is no secret, so I'm not talking out of school, um, there was a emeritus pastor, Pastor Eifert, whose widow is still in the congregation. He's a great guy. But when he was young and came to St. John, he was a raging alcoholic. And the congregation, of course, it caused you know, its share of grief for all concerned but this congregation was able to love him, help him, be sober, and this congregation then became known as a place where people who struggle with alcohol were safe. And I inherited and continue to have a very, let's just say, an above-average number of folks who struggle with alcohol in the congregation. Um, Now you have to work through what to do with that. What are the possibilities? You can use grape juice. That's really not... You can um, put a drop of consecrated wine, so the blood, into water. So again, like the gluten, like the wheat on a gluten host, you have a delivery device. But largely what I've found, and if this is any of you, I really want to talk to you about it, largely what I've found is almost all the folks who struggle with alcohol in this congregation take the common cup, uh, because they can control the touch. Now, what I didn't say is, when the common cup comes to you, people get nervous. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The pastor is never going to let go. Like I'm never, And people, sometimes people try to wrestle the chalice away from me. I mean, just because they learned that somewhere, I am never going to let go. When I let go, it's like letting go of the steering wheel in your car. A bad thing is going to happen, okay? But if you take... Usually I have a hand like this, or, yeah, almost always like this. And it's interesting, it's unconscious, right? So I don't even think about it. Usually I have a hand on the bottom. If you put your hands over my hands, or if you grasp, you know, the stem on the chalice, in any dimension, if you take control of the chalice and so take control of the amount you receive, that's completely okay with us. We're not going to let go because something bad will happen. A spill or a drop. Which is not going to be great, um, but I find that people who struggle with alcohol just almost always, and we actually do this with children as well. Because you know, if we commune here at five, six, seven, and I gave you today the text from Bugenhagen. it has the one I talked about it last week. But I gave you the text from Peepcorn today. It's the one with the little arrow. Same thing for children. Just put it put it at your lips. Don't even open your mouth. Let it tuck, touch your lips and lick your lips. Right. It's the touch. This is the so important thing. I mean, I said this the very first week. The gospel is touch. The words of Jesus touch your ear and they go to your heart. The water of his holy name touches your skin and goes to your heart. The body of Jesus touches your tongue and goes to your heart. The gospel is touch. It is the physical, incarnational, sacramental touch. See, I tell you, self-sorting, we're losing them again. Hey, God bless the Wheaton cross-country team. Just leave it right there. I'll take it from you. Thanks so much. I love you guys. See you, okay? And if you want to play it, um, on Monday, Thursday, talk to Val. Just yell at Val. Say, we want to play. In fact, for you, complete obedience. Just go to Val. Go, I want to play, I want to play, and then run out the door. It's going to be okay, okay? Just, just do it right now. It's all going to be okay. So it's just a touch of it on your lips. But if you uh, help a little bit with the chalice, that would be fabulous. So far... Things are okay, right? So we'll see, uh, we'll see. It sort of restores the notion of one cup, which is very nice. You will say to me, why not one loaf of bread? Um, I will tell you, one of the most horrifying experiences I ever had was I participated in an ordination where they had one loaf of bread. For whatever reason, the guy running this, because, you know, because pastors all think they're theater majors, you know, an innovation is fabulous. He stood in front of the altar, and then he tore this bread and tore this bread again, tore this bread again, tore this bread again. As he said, the words of Institutus, so it's the body of Christ now. I'm in the first row to come and receive, and I literally almost didn't receive because there was this pile of, I don't know, you tell me, crumbs from that big loaf of body blood. So everybody in the whole congregation this ordination, uh, stepped on Jesus. I wonder if the guy is still in the ministry. (laughs) Just kidding. But the thing is, is, You know, know, put that next to Luther dropping the chalice and licking it up off the floor. Also, as long as we're doing everything here, if you drop a host, we will find it. And if you you drop a host and don't know what to do with it, I will eat it. Sometimes I eat people's half-eaten hosts where some people can't swallow or they can only take a little bit or a kid, you know doesn't quite know what to do, or it's too much, or it, it doesn't matter. We will eat the host on the spot. The other thing is, eat the host. I, was, I walked the Camino in Spain a few years ago, and just to show I'm better than you, I have two indulgences, 10,000 years each. I'm saving them, I'm going to auction them off toward my retirement, it's fabulous, because I walk more than 100 kilometers, and I happen to be there on the 500th anniversary of the Benedictine, Monaster and I was able just to walk in over lunch hour and get an extra 10,000 years off. How great is that? So, you know, why am I even telling you that? I can't remember. So anyway, we will, um, you know, we'll eat them if they go badly. Well, I know I was telling you because all these pilgrims walk the Camino and then they go to where St. James Bones are said to be, and they all go to the Eucharist. There's a priest, but there's also a priest who stands like this, and I actually saw this. A guy tried to to Bogart the host in his, in his pocket and walk away with it, take it home as a souvenir. That priest chased him down like a half-priced Kate Spade purse. <laughs> and he made the guy take it out and eat it in front of him, right? And of course, you'll, I mean, you could go home, don't do this, but you can go home today and Google up, get a host for a satanic rite, and you'll find where people have stolen hosts and sell them, and they're used in demonic... Uh, for demonic applications in in black masses and stuff like that to defile Christ and eat the host, okay? If you drop the host, we'll find the host. If you drop the host and don't want to have it, give it to me, I'll eat the host. It's all going to be fine. Jesus is not going to kill me in that way. He may kill me, but that is not the way he's going to do it. And if he does, as is always the proper response to your death, thank you very much, right? How's that? Anything else? Okay, so I just trying to... Here, I mean, here's the problem. I, my head is full of this kind of stuff. So this is just an example of, there's nothing we do at St. John that's capricious. Everything we do has a reason. Uh, everything has been thought through. And we're trying to, you know, come to it and give it a try before you say, that's, that's dumb, or I'm not going to do that, or I don't... Just everything has an explanation. Um, so... You know, we're trying to move you to a place, and you know, maybe this is kind of a good place to close. You know, I gave you all this stuff to read today. Here's the thing: the margin comments. You know, the reason all those comments are there is I can't talk fast enough to get it all out. And there's, you know, like I read the margin comments for Lent three because I proof the bulletins when they come back, and I just I read this one after another. You know, you kind of go, how do people do this? Like, how do people come to this level of spiritual maturity? I mean, I, I think I gave you this once before, but I gave it to you again. I mean, I could go home and read this and weep. Um, this is, um, Norman Nagel was a dear friend and a mentor, uh, and I preached his funeral sermon a few years ago. I mean, he was a brilliant guy. He was on the, he was the first um, uh, proctor of Westfield House, and then he was on the Cambridge faculty, did a Cambridge PhD, he was the dean of the chapel at Valpo, he was the graduate professor of, He's the most honorific professor title at the seminary in St. Louis. But I mean, if you, I mean, if you only read this piece um, about love, like this is all you need to know to be a Christian. And if the church would absorb this, the church wouldn't have as many problems as it does. But you kind of go, I read this, you know, and I've read this a dozen times. Um, and I read that and I kind of go, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure how people get there. You know, you get these things from Thomas Mer- Merton where he says, God is mercy and mercy and mercy, and you kind of go. Or St. Teresa where she says, all the way home to heaven is heaven. You kind of like, I mean, do you kind of get that? All the way home to heaven is heaven. So that means my suffering, my forgiveness, my death is heaven. All the way home to heaven is heaven. You kind of go, you've got to be another kind of human being to get to that level. So the reason those are there is, hey, I'm just going to give you some more advice, free advice. This is free advice day for the children in the crowd. You know what the key to life is? Always be the dumbest guy in the room, and I'm not kidding you. You always want to be the dumbest guy in the room? Then you'll go far. As Dr. Dr. Ernst Bammel said to me over one too many champagnes and strawberries at a May ball in Cambridge. Mr. Bruzek? The details will make you a famous man. It was said of him that he could teach the history of the first four centuries of the church from the critical apparatus in his Greek New Testament. You know what that is, right? The stuff at the bottom. The details will make you a famous man. So, um, you know, part of the reason you get that is like we can't get it out fast enough and we're not as good as those people. Part of the reason you get that is what Lutherans have always said that we stand in the tradition of the apostles and the apostolic church. And if you notice, on our best weeks, you get something from the early church, something from the medieval church, something from the renaissance church, something from the modern church, something from the postmodern church. On our best weeks, you get the same thing said by all these people, which give you this great confidence that what we're doing here is what Jesus did there. And what you want is, you want to live in that stream. As, as, as Paul says, you want to be imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ. You want to grow up from milk to meat, right? You, you want to listen when Jesus says, follow me. And this whole thing has just been an explanation of what it means to follow me as we best understand it and try to practice it together. You should be, you're new, you should be better than we are. You should be better than us. You should come here and you should say, come on, let's go, right? That's what you should be saying. And you know, the whole point of joining is because you want to do that. Don't, don't join if you want anything less than that. I can, with a, with a pure heart, I can give you a referral to a church or two that won't demand anything of you. That's not us. You should expect your pastors to say, let's go. And if you ever say anything other, I will say, after the day you join, I will say to you, I told you this was coming, right? But here's the other side of it. You know, I got two people, dear friends. This is really hard, because I got people, I'm old enough now that people my age and younger than me who are dear friends of the congregation are dying. Right? So here's the other side of it. When you're dying, I will come and cleanse the room of demons. I will put a crucifix in your hand. I will pray for you and you can be sure of what will happen next. So that's part of the deal too. So anyway, that's the big finish, um, you know, but it's only, it's only kind of the beginning. So turn your paperwork in if you want to join. Val is gonna to try to get you to be part of the uh, Monday Thursday service, only do that if you want. There's plenty of people who do it, don't feel any pressure, but it is a lot of fun. Easter Vigil is when we receive people in long history of the church of bringing in people, Easter Vigil. I don't know if you know the famous, if you haven't ever been to Jerusalem, there's your pilgrimage to order your life. But there's, you know, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where Jesus probably laid and uh, a very good tradition and very old. Um, And when they would bring folks like you in, in Holy Week, after three years of catechesis, they would baptize them and bring them to the Holy Supper, and then they would say, and they didn't know this advance, they would say, you don't know anything at all. We're shutting the doors and you're staying here for the week, for a week of intensive catechesis. That's the kind of seriousness with which people took the faith. So, um, you know, I can't keep you all for a week, you're very busy. And you would just, you know, get on your phone and metaverse somewhere, and they'd be all lost anyway. So, uh, But anyway, if you're, if you're, if you're going to be here, now, all is not lost if you're not here for Easter. I know you're busy and you're traveling, all that, okay. Um, but uh, Easter Vigil, there'll be a point in the middle. There'll be baptisms if we have them. Then there'll be a point in the middle where uh, you'll come to the altar and say, I'm in. Then our kids will be confirmed, I'm in. Then we'll um, read the gospel in the darkness and celebrate the Holy Supper. And then we're going to have a blast of a party uh, afterwards, which sometimes now goes later than I can stay because I have to get up the next morning. You know, in the early church, there was no sunrise service. You came... (laughs) and stayed all night, and at sunrise he went home and slept, which I would be completely good with. The big service was Easter Vigil, it wasn't Easter morning. So, but, you know, habits are habits, and though I was able to kill the collection plate and the individual cups, Easter morning might be a bridge too far. So, um, <laughs> all right, any last questions? Because I should let you go, you know, you want to go home and put coffee on and your little slippers and read Barons, and see what's happening in Ukraine, you should pray for them, okay, Anything? All right, let's pray. If you want to leave me your paperwork, hang around if you want. I'll stay till we're done. But otherwise, welcome to St. John. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I right, love you all. Have fun. See you tomorrow, I hope.